Well, we're recording here on another Friday night at the end of May. Um, I am finally recovered from both sore back and the uh, uh, conference plague that I had when I went to PHP Tech last week. So here we are, episode number 47 of the Development Hell podcast. Um, as always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, uh, Ed Finkler. Ed, how are you doing today? We actually didn't do the intros and stuff before because I usually talk to you before we start recording. So I actually really don't know how you're doing today. So how's it going? Oh, uh, pretty well. Just uh, we kind of finished up a project, a big project, which is kind of cool. Though I'm sure I'll have more because QA does is next week. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, so I'm doing pretty good actually. Cool. And I've been sitting here thinking about what tattoo I want to get on my right arm. Though that my wife uh, capitulated and said it would be okay if I got a tattoo. So I'm thinking of the hammer of Thor on my right uh, forearm would be actually kind of all sorts of awesome. But mm-hmm. that's a that's a story for another time. Uh, so uh, we have a very special guest tonight who I've trolled repeatedly on uh, Twitter and actually and trolled in person as well, uh, reminding them to not use such horrible potty mouth language when we were at a baseball game and at other places. But before we uh, reveal who the guest is, uh, let's thank our sponsors. Uh, First of all, let's thank New Relic. Uh, New Relic is a software analytics company that makes sense of billions of metrics across millions of web and mobile apps. They help the people who build modern software understand the stories their data is trying to tell them. New Relic supports PHP, Python, Ruby, Java.net, Node, iOS, and Android apps. Big shout out to Noel from uh, New Relic. It was awesome seeing her at uh, PHP Tech again. And then also a sponsor for this episode is uh, the fine folks at Rove. Rove is a handpicked team of some of the most talented developers in the PHP community. Uh, Rove is a full-service web development firm offering services such as consulting, training, software development, and more. They employ some of the most recognized and accomplished experts in the industry to ensure that organizations have access to the talent they need when they need it. And finally, as always, our longtime sponsor, Wonder Networks, Paul Reinheimer and Will Roberts. I finally remembered the name. Uh, who very generously provide uh, all the bandwidth so that people can listen to the podcast live. And also thanks so much to Paul, who was on our last podcast, which you guys haven't heard yet, but is done and in the can, uh, where he shared some awesome stories about Wonder Network. So with these sponsors out of the way, let's introduce our guest. It is Aaron O'Neill. Aaron, how are you today? I am good. How are you guys? Well, I'm doing okay. Doing um, good. So, yes, so we got to hang out together at Tech, and we went to the baseball game, the Go Cubs. So I actually have a Cubs hat in my collection now. So a good time was had by all. And Matt Frost Snapchatted uh, a usual picture of he and I making faces while we're sitting in the crowd. So that was kind of good. As you do. Yes. Uh, So we have Aaron on. uh, So I will give a little bit of summary of of what I know about Aaron, and then she can go into into more detail. She works for um, Clockwork in uh, uh, sunny, warm, always tropical Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. (laughs) Um, I have been to Minneapolis. I love the Mall of America. I try to go there every single time I'm near it. I'm just, I don't know, I guess I guess the veneer of, of Canadianism is wearing off me the more time I spend in the U.S. And now I'm getting attracted to mass consumption. So I guess I kind of like the Mall of America because it's a really kind of cool and unique place. Um, Aaron also, uh, of course, is a dev and I believe team lead where you work, if I remember what we were talking about earlier. Yes, no, maybe so. Yeah, a tech lead is tech what lead. we call it. But right. yeah, tech lead. Tech lead. Uh, and also a new speaker uh, on the PHP speaking circuit, which to me is always awesome. If you could see me, I have two thumbs up in front of the microphone. Uh, and uh, swing dancers into bees and uh, just kind of all around interesting person that I'm glad I got to know better. So why don't you kind of fill in the blanks on the stuff that I might have left out? Oh, man. I feel so multifaceted. Um, yeah, so I work at Clockwork, which is in Minneapolis, like you said. We are an interactive agency, so we solve all kinds of different business problems using whatever technology is appropriate, as long as it usually ends up on the web somehow, whether it's apps or sites or whatever. So um, I've worked on a ton of projects that look like a ton of different things. Most of them are PHP, and I personally like that because if you're not into a project, it you know you do it for a few months and then it disappears and you get to do something else, which is nice. It's a nice luxury. Um, and I'm actually from Chicago originally, so I don't know what I was thinking. I went up where it was cold, which was a poor decision. I don't know. But um, yeah, so I'm in Minneapolis now and I've just started speaking, like you said. I was looking at Lanyard earlier. I hit six events so far which is crazy because my first one was in august the first time i ever spoke um so yeah and i i have many more scheduled thankfully i feel super grateful to be able to say so yeah i don't plan on slowing down anytime soon 
that's pretty awesome. It's pretty exciting. Good follow up, Chris. Um, yeah, because I was coughing. You prefer me to cough, then you're going to call me names, and I'm going to call you a name. And we I didn't just, call you. I didn't yeah, call you a name. But you, but you do. I heard you're I, not sick anymore. So well, just allergies a little bit, but that's about it. Yeah, allergies. That's not a real thing. All right, I was smoking weed before this. Okay, okay. give me a break. All right, Ugh, Canadians. No, actually, I don't smoke. That's the truth. That is the truth. He doesn't smoke, but he does take advantage of prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll edit that out in post. Wow. All right, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, actually, Ed doesn't. No, actually, the truth is, Ed only edits out things he's uncomfortable with. All the stuff, <laughs> yes, I'm uncomfortable, exactly. All the stuff I'm uncomfortable with stays in the podcast. Yep. Noted. Yes, noted. That's why I'm uh, the editor. Even to try to do some career limiting things on the podcast, we'll have to see uh, what happens. Um, so before we th- before we talk about um, kind of the, some of the things that you talked about at tech, I, w- I want to get your perspective as someone who's um, you know dived right into um, the speaking thing, speaking scene, speaking. I don't know exactly what to call it. This thing that we do, where we go to conferences and we hang out with old friends and make new friends and talk and try to give stuff back to people in exchange for like having our flights paid for and, and being put up in nice hotels and generally being treated like the princesses that we really want to be treated like. I call it the speaker circuit. Speaker circuit. Uh, All right. Yeah. And it's, it's a pretty ridiculous gig. I think more people should try to get in on it because it's so fun. It's, it's just silly. I don't know why I get to do it, but I'm going to do it as long as it'll let me. Well, they, so what was, they keep so what letting was the, me, so I don't yeah, know. Well, that, <laughs> they keep letting me, so that's there's something to be... Well, you run the conference, so that's different. Well, I run a conference, but I don't... I did, as, despite what some people might think, I didn't start the conference just so I could have some place to talk. Because uh-huh. <laughs> I can do that on the podcast, and I can do that in all sorts of other places, but... Um, uh, but I'm, I'm sure there is... I mean, I'm sure there is something to that, that little few little... Annotations and stuff beside my name because I do stuff like that. But I'm kind of more interested in like, what was the point where you decided I want to get onto the speaker circuit? What was it that spurred you to to get involved? Well, I don't know if it was like any one moment. It was definitely something I had been thinking about for probably like two years. Um, but some some background is that I have been standing in front of people making a fool out of myself for a long time. I teach I teach dance, swing dance, and blues dance, and I've been doing that since I was in college. So I have a lot of experience just being up in front of a group and ad-libbing because mm-hmm. you you prepare your lesson, but it's you don't really know what you're going to say until it comes out of your mouth, and you have to be very agile um, about how, you know, how are people responding to you, change your lesson plan up on the fly. So I had been doing a lot of that, and I really, I really liked it, but I thought the challenge for me next would be to do something as structured and formal as a talk where I had to sit down and decide what I was going to talk about for 30, 40, 50 minutes ahead of time and then stick to it. Um, so, yeah, it was hard. It was definitely tricky, but I had a lot of good support. I'm, I just I think what's really important when you want to get into something like this is to make sure everyone around you knows it because the main reason that I was able to, to do this was, first, I made sure that my boss and uh, my boss's boss, um, they spent they all speak a lot. Um, and so I just made sure that they knew that I was interested in this. And then they just gave me so much encouragement that it really helped. Um, it helped a lot with the imposter syndrome, which gets talked about a lot. And it helped a lot just um, getting opportunities and feedback and ideas. And um, actually, the first conference I ever went to was because the VP at my company sent um, a blog post from the person running it saying they wanted to get more first-time speakers and they were reviewing proposals that was php northeast which is a, a great event especially for first-time speakers they're super super great about helping people get started um but yeah once once i made once people knew they were really encouraging it really helped me jump off and then i went to php tech and that was what kind of settled it for me um last year that is when i just saw people speaking and i was like yep i can do this and i want to do this and so even there i told some people like i wasn't I wasn't really uh, shy about telling people that I intended to start speaking, and I got so much good support. Um, Davey Shafik, for example, was super great about giving me tips about how to do proposals and how to submit and all these things, and just a lot of people have been really encouraging. Chris, you've told me to submit to conferences like forever and a bunch, so um, I think it helps a lot just to tell people you want to do it, and then you have people rooting for you. 
And that's an awesome, awesome thing. Yeah, it's interesting when like I hang on in the PHP mentoring channel. And I, uh, every once in a while, a conversation comes up about that people are going to submit to a conference and they want people to look over their proposals. And I mean, I don't know. It, it seems kind of weird because I, I keep trying to tell people there, there really is no secret. Like, I think what people want is like a template that they know works and like they just want to fill in a few blanks on the template and then submit it. And that will, and that will somehow guarantee that their talks are getting accepted. I can, as someone who's a, a conference, organizer and picks talks um i mean i don't look for what i look for things is stuff that i think are interesting and i I wouldn't say that i necessarily penalize people for poorly worded um proposals but i just kind of look at it and say oh this is kind of interesting topic and then i look at it and then i'll tend to do a little bit of i'll do like a little quick search online about the person to say do i think this person could actually deliver interesting talk or are they someone that actually has talked about these things before are they someone if i do some search i find they've been talking in online forums or on twitter or whatever about this topic so i mean i just want people to kind of understand that there's no magic um, there's no magic formula. I can only speak for the formula that's worked for me, and it may it may only work for me because because of who I am. It may not work if other people um, try to duplicate the same thing. I mean, in in many ways, my proposals are kind of outlined the same way that I do the marketing um, for my books. It's like here's a here's a, a pain or a problem you have. Wouldn't it be awesome if if this problem went away and uh, this talk can help you figure that out? I mean, that's kind of the that's the pattern that I've been using and. Um, I don't think I can. Uh, I don't think I can disagree that it's been successful. I mean, it works for me, but um, it, talking tends to be one of these things. Like, oftentimes, it takes a lot of luck to get that foot in the door. You get noticed, and then it's up to you to deliver on that opportunity that's been given to you. And if you don't deliver, then probably no one will be interested in ever having you around again. But once you do deliver, you have that. You have that reputation of yes. If we bring. Aaron to our conference. Aaron is going to give a top-notch talk that will have people interested, and in turn, it'll be worth our while to pay pay this person's expenses to bring them over. See, I just guilt people into making. I just tell them it's like, <laughs> are you going to be the person who shuts down the mental illness talk? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? You're gonna, that's you're, one you're, way to do it. You're, you're going to go there with that? Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, it hasn't stopped a few people. Yeah. You know, Aww. I have to say though, that is a little sad. tear just went down my my uh, cheek thing like of, of of Ed curling up in a fetal position because someone didn't accept his talk. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say though, I think maybe some people are looking for a template, but I think for a lot of people, it's just that it's such a black box. Like before, mm-hmm. I went to tech, it actually didn't occur to me that you just there's just a form online, and if you want to talk, you submit it. Like I assumed that there were some secret channels and handshakes happening at midnight and you got invited like it just didn't occur to me that it was that easy so i i think that a lot of people just don't have any clue if they're on the right path at all and they just need somebody who's done this before to look at the proposal and be like no dude totally that's right i think you should submit it i think jeff caruth said a good thing here on irc where he said the review of abstracts is more about does the abstract convey the message effectively than about is this a winning abstract format? And I, I, I kind of agree with that. But I think, in a sense, too, I think they're kind of the same thing. I, I think you have to tell people, like, well, what are they going to learn about? What's interesting about it? And get that across in your, in your, uh, in the abstract that you send in. And at the same time, I think it really, really helps if you say blogged some about it or otherwise talked some about this stuff. You know, I guess I always tell people if like there's a local user group, you should. Just try to talk at your local user group or some other thing like that. Even if we're talking to like ten people or something like that, just get up and start trying to do that stuff, and um, and record it because it really does make a difference. I think. Oh yeah. Like if it, I mean, because it's come up with a few things I can think of where, I mean, if it's a brand new speaker and all you have is an abstract, you really have no idea if they're any good, right? Um, and uh, and you want to bring in new blood, you want to bring in new talent, but it's certainly you have to, you know, you can certainly understand the other side of it where people are like, well, I want something as conference organizers, and particularly as conference organizers, where it's not like a completely volunteer sort of situation, but maybe they are actually trying to, well, even say break even, let alone say make money on it. Um, I well, they have sort of some skin in the game and. Uh, they would there's 
they want to be, you know, it's, it's a little easier and a little safer to have somebody who's like, well, I know this, or I, I have much more confidence that this is going to be a, a good talk versus how all this is is an abstract. And I don't know this person from Adam or Eve or whatever, right? Absolutely. You know, one great tip that I heard too on the speaking at um, like a user group front is like have people review your talk on joined in afterwards so that it just gives future conference organizers some proof that you have talked ever. Um, Yeah. Like maybe make, make a intelligent decision about if you're going to get good reviews or not. Like if it's your first, first talk ever, maybe don't ask somebody to rate you because all ones isn't going to help. But if you're feeling okay, like if you have people review you on joined in, then when you go like apply to a conference, you're just that much less of an unknown quantity. Otherwise, it's just a total dice roll. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think you know people just want to see that there was you have. They, they just don't want to. They want to have some that there's a better chance that you're decent than than not, right? Um, just don't get reviewed on joined in at a like in Europe. Those people are mean. That's a cultural thing. Like a lot of people are like really. They believe in brutal honesty in the reviews because I think for mostly for like a North American style audience, it's very very rare that you'll get like a real negative, yeah, uh, like a really negative yeah. comment on joining. But that seems to be very very uh, common. I know that when I did the when I did the uh, the keynote talk at um, PHP Benelux, there were a few negative ones about my keynote, but those I think were just because of like cultural references they didn't understand because I talked about the Cold War and some other stuff, and some people didn't didn't get it. But uh, yeah, it's okay. It's not, not everyone. As I've as I as I have discovered, not any, not everyone has to like my shit in order for me to be successful. So well, that's so, true. It's okay. So, well, but one thing about that, the rating thing is, it's very much the case, I don't know how much it is in Canada, but I know in the U.S., it's very much like either, if you have a rating, if you do not give that person the highest possible rating in a category, then there's something wrong. That's sort of how it's viewed. I remember, uh, like, like surveys I've gotten uh, uh, from, like, my car dealership for, like, for service, and and they flat out tell me, if you don't give us a ten in what, in all of these categories, they will like the the home office will call us, like the Volkswagen will call us, and they'll find out. Be like, what the hell happened? If you don't get them a ten, and there's no way they can be perfect in everything. I mean, so, but I think there's sort of a. I think that is kind of a cultural thing. Is that there's sort of like, and but on the other side of it, I also, of course, I always tend to view things like if I if they're not all fives, then I'm like, or fours and fives at least, then I'm like, I did something horribly wrong, right? You know, so, and I feel terrible about myself. So I'm maybe you know just just make me feel better. I don't really care about you know learning anything good. Just make me feel better. That's all that matters. <laughs> I feel that. I get off the stage and I'm like so emotionally fragile. Before oh, I go yeah. up there, I'm like, yeah, tell me the truth. I want to get better. And I get off and I'm like, I'm going to need five five-star reviews right now in my inbox or I'm just going to lose it. Yep, basically. Yeah, I'm yeah. just yeah, just waiting. It's like, oh man, they all get emailed to me and it's like, oh, it's like, it's like, it's like yep, it's like a punch in the gut. You're like worried about what's going to come in, what's going to come in. Well, that's well. I, I mean, I only I can only speak for myself. I don't give a shit about those bad emails when I get them. I give the talk, and I I find that I can tell uh, if the talk was good and well received. And it's pretty easy to filter through the the honest ones. Five out of five was good because I know I talked about this at Tech that I was not happy at all for yeah. a variety of reasons uh, about the tutorial that I gave. And I did get some e- I did get some emails from people afterwards who figured out my email address, and those are the the smart ones. And 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 basically saying me, yeah, okay, maybe it was a little bit rough. Some people were like, I thought it was really good. I got a lot of it, but I could see why it was rough for others. And some people are like, yeah, this is definitely rough. It could be improved, but but you got your message across. And that's always kind of what I'm trying to do: get the message across. I try to do it in an entertaining way because those are the type of talks that I like. And I and I always try to create talks that I would want to go see, um, thereby appealing to my ego, I guess. If you want to look at it that way, but like I, I tell people, if somebody was asking me about tips on organizing a conference, right? And I'm like, well, I said I can offer a couple of devices. Don't overthink it. Um, treat your speakers super well, and just try and create the type of conference that you would like to go to. And I mean, that's kind of what I try to do with True North. Create a conference that I would like to go hang out at. You know? You know what? You know what? Or a conference that I'd like to go to? One that wasn't super cold. 
Well then, <laughs> well then, go to Sunshine PHP, you big baby. You know, I might do that. I might. I I uh, I haven't before, so I might try to hit that. Oh no, you should go. Miami's awesome. Yep, I've been to Miami once before, and uh, it was pretty cool. And I ate a, a a Cuban at a Cuban restaurant. You ate a Cuban? You know the sandwich. Oh okay. Well, I had a good time when I went to Sunshine PHP. I went with a bunch of people and actually went down to the ocean. So I waded into the ocean a little bit. So that was kind of cool. Went down to the beach. There's a beach right across. We had gone to this really nice restaurant and it was right on, it was in South Beach, right on the beach. You went to this really nice restaurant and you ended up in the ocean after. Well, no, I went out afterwards. The ocean was across the street. You could just walk across the street and then go out onto the beach and take off the shoes and and poisoned and killed all the fish with my Canadian germs. And then I came back in. At least you took your shoes off. I was was wondering whether it was worse if you just walked in with your pants on or off. I yeah yeah I had my pants on it was okay thank God yeah I sometimes remember if I had shorts on or not yeah I was probably, either roll them up it gets hot down there dog yeah, I, I, I probably yeah. I was probably wearing shorts yeah it's really oh man it was uh, we did that what was that called Code Works that like thing in oh nine oh the tour around. yeah you travel around yeah and uh, we went to Miami for that that was kind of a it was it was nice being in Miami but I think we had like six people. Right. So that was it. Was kind of when I say six people, I mean six attendees. So I think that that maybe Ooh. wasn't the best stop. I Ooh. think I think things are a little better now and down in Miami, a little better organized for the old PHP group. So I would I would actually love to participate in one of those like traveling roadshow um, conferences one time. It'd be uh, it'd be very interesting to do. Just it's, to, just it's, it's just one of the things to say that I did it once. I think is kind of what I would want. Yeah, I think it's fun to say you did it once. I don't think I. I don't. I'm pretty sure I don't want to do it again. But it was. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah, maybe one of these days we'll do the Dev Hell World Tour, and it'll be a little conference plus us talking about stuff that actually would be kind of cool. We just have to find the right sponsors so we can travel in style by limo from place to place. That'd That's the important cool. thing. That we, should get, actually, we should get one of those buses, really cool. like a like a tour bus, like John Madden had. Hell um, yeah! Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, Maybe, right, maybe we should right, talk to the guest. About, yeah, yeah. Enough about how awesome Ed and I are. Let's let's <laughs> let's find out if Aaron can reach our level of awesomeness. Uh, so, Jesus. so, so in the, I'm kind of interested in in your in your experiences on going from a dev to a tech lead because I've never I've never been a tech lead. I mean, I think for reasons that's probably obvious to anyone that knows me. <laughs> there's a reason why nobody's ever why nobody ever reports to me. So, uh, how did you find that transition to be like? I, you know, in a lot of ways it came kind of naturally. And then in other ways it was incredibly jarring. I I just think there's no other way to put it. Um, I'm definitely the kind of person that if I walk into a project and it needs someone to be in charge, I just, I just do it. I just start pointing in directions and directing traffic and telling everybody how to do their jobs. Um, Which was happening to some degree naturally on some of the projects I was on. Because sometimes there's just a vacuum and a team. And then I was stepping up into it. Um, so for that part, it was, it was pretty fun. It was kind of natural, but then there were other parts where it was like, all right, you got to go in the meeting with the client and give them this $500,000 bill and you've never done this before. Have fun. And that was a little bit more like, I'm not ready for this, but it wasn't an option. Um, so it, I liked it. And for a while I was actually doing a lot of coding and tech leading, um, I don't get to do as much coding anymore, honestly. It's just, it's a pretty full-time job just doing the tech lead stuff. Um, But yeah, the transition part, it was fun until it, I don't want to say wasn't, because it was always fun, but it was easy until it wasn't, is maybe what it is. What? 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 So that did that make no sense? I can try again. We can edit the whole thing out. No, no, we don't edit. <laughs> we don't, we edit, don't anything. edit anything out. We just trim some of the beginning and some of the end, and that's it. No, that no, that, that, that totally that that totally makes sense. Um, I, I mean, it's just interesting because my experience. I, sometimes when I go into projects, it it's not like I want to take charge, but it's more like I kind of want to make sure that the projects like. I'm trying to think of the right ways to describe this. That it's moving forward, and that we're doing the things that kind of need to be done 
not for me early in my career is like well we got to do things to make sure the devs are always happy right so but but over time it's been like that's more like think about the goal like at the company level the business level this thing we're trying to do are we doing this thing in such a way that we're going to meet these goals that the business wants and oftentimes obviously sometimes the demands from a business are unrealistic or they they don't really want the thing that they're saying what they really want is something else and you figure that out as you're building the project but sure. um uh, uh, I think it's part and part because I tend to complain a lot about stuff. That's not probably a good quality for a tech lead to have. It's, it's a good quality for a senior dev who can have the ability to nudge the right people to get them to solve things. I know I, I, most of the good things that I've gotten done at Cinecore are because I relentlessly harassed the correct people until things were set into motion that provide a real benefit. The PHP, our upgrading to PHP 5.4 being a, a, a prime example of that. I figured out what needed to be done and then just bugged the right people until it all happened. So, But that, I mean, that's, that's important. That's part of it too. I think, I think your distinction between like a tech lead should not complain, but a senior dev should, I actually think that's really good. Um, because yeah, I, I think that a big thing as any kind of official leadership or unofficial, frankly, is that your attitude just trickles down and rubs off on people. Um, and the more people are looking up to you, the more, whether you like it or not, you have to get more positive. Um, which was, I, I'm a little snarky by nature, a little bit. And so that was kind of a hard lesson for me to learn. Um, but not as hard as for other people I've witnessed try to watch or learn it. But yeah, I I think part two of why I ended up getting into tech leading is that my dirty little secret is I don't I don't like completely love programming. I like it. It's super fun. But I've never been one of those kids who like programs all day and then goes home and programs all night. Um so for me to do tech leading was a it was a chance to kind of step back and build software from a more holistic place. So the software was still getting built, but it was somebody else's problem to figure out the ones and zeros and debug it. And frankly, for me, that was for a little while. I mean, that was exactly what I wanted. That was great. So I think that's also why I'm one of the, you hear a lot of people complain about getting moved up to management roles. And I think that's why I'm one of the few people who's like, no, it's great. I want it um, out of the dev community because I just feel like it's programming in a higher level language almost. Instead of using an, a compiler, though, I just have people who write code instead. I can under, I can understand that. I mean, uh, no, yeah, I can definitely understand. I mean, like like I just said, I I mean, I always joke that probably uh, I I know I joke about being abrasive and probably not a good idea for me to be like in charge of a bunch of people because that would probably like drive me nuts. Um, because I, you know, I'm the type of person like I, I trust people to get shit done, and then when they don't do the shit that I ask them to do, then that's when things start to get a little bit rough with very direct conversations with people about like I asked you to do this, why the fuck isn't it done? I, I would like a good reason, or as I said to somebody, I would like a reason that I could believe that this thing isn't done. So um, that's always a problem. But you know, yeah. I, I, management at some point it's probably inevitable anyway I'll be working forever I won't be coding forever but at some point it'll be like that nice kind of senior consultant let's talk through this and figure out a good strategy type of role which I think is probably making a lot of people laugh to hear me talk like that <laughs> <laughs> I think it makes sense yeah alright oh, yeah. sorry I just got a shift in my chair this chair is going to get replaced soon it's still squeaky and the leather starting to peel off it's not a good look uh, so you're so your talk at tech was uh, I'm going to flip over here was UX for programmers and I missed it because I was not feeling well and I was kind of very disappointed to miss it and uh, I saw it well that's awesome <laughs> high five to you Ed Thanks. high five uh, indeed so, I know which one of you likes me better yes wow that's that, oh that, well, that's a dagger hold on let me uh, get that on. out all right cool good all right uh, so, so the topic, of course, was UX for programmers. So uh, I know that people would joke about the engineer's interface when uh, um, people build things just for themselves and they don't necessarily have an eye for design. And um, I used to think that uh, like the ability to design a nice interface was like um, either you innately had it or you don't. And then I used to think the same thing about marketing. And then I learned, yes, even Chris, the grumpy, abrasive person, can actually learn to market things effectively and convince people to give him money in exchange for things that he has built on his own. So um, I feel like UX um, is the same sort of thing. I think that 
anybody can, anyone can learn enough of the basics to build a not horrible interface for something. Um, so is that, is that kind of something that you went into in your talk? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the first, um, the first misconception when it comes to putting together an interface is that design is somehow the same as UX. And there's obviously a lot of overlap and a lot of ways they're connected, but they're really not the same. I can't design a single thing um, in terms of like fire up Photoshop and use colors and make it pretty. Um, but you can still think about what makes software like usable and something that can get a job done and not make someone cry. Um and the, the modern web has a lot of ways that makes that easier. Like I mentioned Twitter Bootstrap at my talk, which is just a dead simple way for engineers to put a little bit of polish on something and not have to try too hard. But yeah, you know, it's all just principles that, that you can learn the same way as we learn design patterns. There are, for objects, there's interface patterns. Um, there's tons of principles that get applied. I mean, it's like if you want to go down the rabbit hole of memorizing um another list of of rules and things that you can apply like it's all there it's not it's all stuff they're writing books about it's not anything that just springs out of someone's head fully formed so my talk the idea was just to kind of start to introduce developers to that and get get us over the idea that it's somehow something we're like not capable of doing because i just think that's a cop-out Oh, I, I think it's a cop-out as well. I mean, it's just, <laughs> excuse me, because, I mean, really, you're, you're right. The, these aren't things that just spring from people's head. They're tried and true, and people have iterated over them, and you're right, just as, there, just as there are design patterns for code. And I know I had fun tweaking Brandon Savage about not knowing uh, certain design patterns since he, he's Mr. Object-Oriented Programming. I just found that funny that he didn't know about a few that seems so obvious to me. But, um, <laughs> It stands to reason that there would definitely be like resources of like inter- like kind of design problems that you're having, and these are some uh, common interfaces. So, uh, so what are like what are some of the common like kind of mistakes or uh, myths that you see um, the programmers are doing when they're getting into UX? Like, what are some of the things you'd like to see people to not uh, do things? Oh man, you're flipping it on its head. Sure. Um, yeah, you know. To me, the biggest thing that I want to see developers stop doing is designing their tables first. I see so many devs that start thinking about the database and what data they're going to have to collect. And unless you're working from like a an API-only point of view, and even then I might want to argue with you, I think what we need to start doing is thinking use cases first and UX first. Because um, in my experience, what that does is it keeps you from writing stuff you don't need and it keeps you from uh, missing something that you do. So, yeah, I, th- I just think that we need to stop thinking about it from a data point of view. Like, it's a complete flip of the directionality of planning the project. Yeah, I, 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 think, that, um, I think that that really helps because in a lot of ways... Um, I, I think the idea is if, if you're creating something that is supposed to... Uh, serve someone's needs, if it's supposed to empower somebody to do something, if it's supposed to uh, solve problems for them. Well, ultimately, the thing that you have to think about are the people who are using it and how they're going to use it. So I think it makes a lot of sense to think about it from that standpoint. Of course, the issue really, the the issue is that that, that sort of turns things a little bit um, uh, upside down for people who are responsible for sort of doing the nuts and bolts engineering and I think that that can be a little bit scary. Um, but I think if you view it as, well, I'm part of this team and we all have different roles in it. And there's some people who have more strength in this area and there's some people who have more strength in that area. And that's fine. The same way you have, well, there's some people who are good front end engineers and there's some people who are good HTML, CSS, and there's some people who are good back end engineers and there's some people who are good DevOps and things like that. Well, we, they all have these different roles, right? And, um, that's okay, right? It's okay to not be first, but you're just as important, right? Totally, yeah. Well, and I think, too, that's what kind of, to me, that's what ties together the tech lead with the UX stuff. Like, they they seem like really weird things for one person to talk about, but it's sort of like, I, you know, I work with devs who are amazing, amazing, heads down, back-end, ones and zeros engineers and I can't even touch what they can do with architecture and stuff and I probably never will 
Um, I shouldn't say that. One day I will, but I can't yet. Um, and they don't necessarily take part in the UX planning, but since it has been done first, when they come back with, all right, here's how I want to do this, here's my schema, here's how I'm thinking of writing this, I, I personally, as a tech lead or whoever, has this document, this research where you can be like, hey, you shouldn't do it this way and here's why. Like That doesn't support our use case or you can't simplify that field this way because it's not going to actually you know, carry through. So it doesn't, I totally agree, it doesn't have to be necessarily in a team environment, one person doing everything. Right. But I think if in the process you have it come first, then it's something the whole team can keep coming back to and like validating their ideas by. The, uh, the other side, at least I found with it, is that the... Uh I, I, what the person is going to be doing and like what is going to be required by the UX is so important and informs so many decisions about what I do in, uh, the, uh, in the back end or in server side front end stuff or in this or that, that I really, I'm sort of not comfortable designing too much, like, like doing too much work until I've gotten to the point where I can see exactly what the interface is. Right, because there's always things that come up where it's like, oh, you want to present it this, you want to have it in this context, like you want to present things that this person has done, and you also want to have this related data with it too, right? And that's something I often can't anticipate until the designer actually finishes their job, right? Until they've actually fleshed that out. Um, So, it, I think one of the things you said is that it informs so many decisions you make about how to do implementation that you really, I, I mean, there's some work that I can do. There's some basic ideas I can do, but you really aren't done. You really don't have a spec until the UX is finished, I guess. And then, then you can work to that spec, but you really don't have a complete spec until that's done, right? And I, of course, the nature of it really is that those things are always changing. <laughs> but uh, it sure helps if you get a head start on it, right? I know that these days when I do have to build web pages, because I'm thinking about that old crufty cake PHP app that I keep uh, limping along like Frankenstein that does a bunch of stuff for the simulation baseball Wait, league that I'm are, in. Are you limping or is the app limping? <laughs> the, app, the, the app. I'm not limping. I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I won't be limping anytime soon because actually finally I, I, I'll talk about this in a second. But um, <laughs> but the, I, I am now starting to approach things from uh, when I initially built a lot of the admin stuff. Um, where people can enter results. Uh, we've automated a whole bunch of that stuff, but my, uh, my partner in crime who helps me run the website, he's noticed how unfriendly a lot of the admin interfaces are. And so I saw a really good um, presentation at uh, Tech, and I can't remember the guy's name. I'll have to go back and look. But he did think about modeless interfaces. He's this guy. He worked for like a, a marine recovery company that would go and clean up um, oil spills. So it's kind of interesting that somebody working at a place like that is going to worry about interfaces too much. And then and then he started showing some of the interfaces he has to work with. And and the the talk was really like eye opening for me on ways to basically try to create modeless interfaces and things that are intuitive. And I've been thinking about like lately when I am doing web web applications i am trying to think of them from the interface um backwards now i kind of think what do i want the user to be doing on this on this particular page and then i try to build an interface that i think is i i, I definitely understand that i used to do those kind of engineer like really rough enter enter shit quickly and get stuff done but now i'm actually starting to give it some more thought and say if someone other than me has to use this thing are they going to be able to figure out what they need to do no <laughs> nice, thanks, Ed. Um, no problem. And to get and to get back to the thing about the limit thing, I, I know that I sent out my uh, uh, my newsletter earlier this week about feeling burnt out, and one of the things that got jettisoned was playing slow pitch. So I won't be oh, looking yeah? around. Yeah, um, it, it's good though. The the one of the, the guy who's on because I emailed the person who's like our team captain and said, look, I'm going to drop out of the league and stuff. I'm just not feeling it. I haven't played much. My private life has gotten. I feel like I'm getting burnt out that I'm doing too many things and slow pitch is one of the things that has to go. And he sent back a very nice email and was like, oh, I hope it was anything that I did. I had drafted you for the team because I had been looking forward to playing with you and blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, felt, I felt momentarily guilty. I'm like, no, 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 it's nothing to do with you. It's just me. I'm just not interested anymore. And, um, uh, but the, and they agreed to put me on the reserve list instead of dummies. Like, well, if you want to play next year, you can come back. Uh, but again, that's kind of like, to me, that dovetails nicely into like trying to create a system that is gentle for the user and protects them from a lot of nonsense and tries to, I, I, 
to me, the best interfaces that I've used are ones that seem to like very intuitively guide me to doing the right thing. And I don't spend a lot of time looking at it and trying to think of what the hell it is I'm supposed to be doing here. Totally. Do you know, do you know who Steve Krug is? He's like totally my UX hero. I'm not familiar with him. I don't think he's the dude who wrote, don't make me think, which, um, I, I pretty much plug every time I talk to anybody. So if anyone listening to this hasn't read, don't make me think, read it. Yeah. We have a link uh, to it in the show notes actually. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Um, but he has a concept in there about, I forget what he actually calls it. He's a cute name for it, but it's about mindless clicks. And it's basically like a user does not care how many times they have to click as long as each click is a mindless, unambiguous choice. So I think that's totally what you were just saying. It's just like as long as you don't even have to think about what you're doing, it doesn't really matter how long it takes you. Um, I mean, as long as like page load isn't slow and stuff, there's definitely things where that tips over. But yeah, I mean, an interface should just make it simple. You just shouldn't have to try too hard to think about what's going to happen or what you're going to do. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So let's go over our list of things. We talk about abusive parents next. No, we can get rid of that. We talked about speaking at conferences. Oh, I know what we can talk about. Uh, well, your choice. Dealer's choice. Uh how you got into blues dancing and swing dancing or why bees are so awesome. I will give you the choice. You may pick one. Seriously? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we, are well, all, we are all about a well-rounded experience on this, this show. Is, this is truly a diverse show. I wasn't aware. Um, I'm going to have to go with bees because the other one's not that great a story. I've been doing it so long. There's not much to say. And we did see you did dance at uh, Giordano's when we went. I to did. It. It's with, uh, <laughs> with Sammy, the other, uh, the other dancer. That was actually yep. kind of... Serendipitous, I guess, is the correct word. It was pretty great. It was pretty great. I didn't actually know the dance we were doing, but I faked it really well. I would, I would like to say so myself. So, Awk- yeah. Awkward silence. Please continue. No, no not not for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, bees. So, are we going to explain why I'm talking about bees, or I just want to launch into? No, no, we ask everybody to talk about bees. <laughs> It's a new thing. And how do you feel about bees? Right. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so, right. uh, well, why don't you explain why we're asking you about bees? Because <laughs> sure. we don't understand it. You don't actually have any clue. Um, no, so no. my fiance is a beekeeper and has been for a really long time. And as these things go and you hang out with something long enough, you either decide that you like it or you you break up with the person who likes it. So since we're engaged now... Um, I'm sorry, that was the best thing. <laughs> well, you know what, Aaron? That actually describes my six, my almost 16-year marriage. <laughs> Either you disagree to go along with the other person's bullshit or you break up. That's really just that's really all it is. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah totally. I'd say so. You just go, eh, bees, eh, it's okay. And you keep going. Yeah, he is so lucky. I think they're interesting. Um... But they are. They're pretty cool. So they're just like, they don't follow any rules that you or I would think of. Um, And they, oh, God, how do I sum them up? Um, They're just freaking fascinating. They don't really make decisions. They just have all of this programming. But evolution has trained the programming so well that they managed to accomplish things as 60,000 individuals um, that, like, 10 people probably would have trouble pulling off. Well, I do know I do know someone that's part of a hive mind collective, but sounds familiar. <laughs> that would be Igor Igor Wiedler. Clearly, he's just a drone of some super intelligence that chooses to deal with humanity. Have you ever so met I'm, Have you ever met Igor? Uh, I have met Igor on the internet okay. only. Awesome, awesome yeah. dude. Anyway, yeah, that yeah, dude. Please, is, please continue yeah. talking about B so I can understand Igor better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, so I'm such a dork that my first thought is like, oh, it's pretty rude to call someone a drone. Um, yeah, drones don't do shit, dude. They don't do shit. Yeah, they... Uh, Hence my joke. You people are so slow on the other. Uh, uh, yeah, that was whole part of your plan. All right, whatever. Um, oh, God, I don't know. Ask me a question. Don't just don't just throw me out there. Okay, so, so give me... Uh, so, like, what's... So, where, where you got these bees? Like, where do they stay in? I mean, I actually know a little bit about it because I watched stuff as a kid or something about bees, and I know they have. I always remember you walk around in these white suits with, uh, like, mesh around your face so these bees don't kill you. And um, and you got, uh, like, a big white box something that's sitting out there, like, in the outside. 
Like, and it's just got it's got a bunch of bees in it. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, that's basically that's, it. And do you use, yeah. do you do you have smoke? Do you smoke? Yes. To like, okay, smoke so you totally do that. Yeah. All right. Well, absolutely. Okay. The smoke is pretty cool because it uh you you spray it on the bees like before you open the hive and stuff, uh-huh. and it for one they all communicate through scent. So if there's a bunch of smoke in the air, they can't release an, uh, an alert pheromone, which is how they say, like, oh, shit, someone opened up our house. We should probably do something about that. The other thing is the bees think that there's a forest fire, and they just go and eat a bunch of honey, and then they get too fl- too fat to really fly well or attack you. Um, that doesn't seem like an effective defense against a forest fire. Well, the the reason is that they need to eat all the honey and then take off, like, really fast. So they're just, they're just like, packing their go bag, basically. Oh, um, I see. Yeah, it, it sounds to me like they didn't they didn't uh, do proper acceptance tests on how to handle smoke. Is there <laughs> is there like OSHA training they have to go through or anything like that? For <laughs> no, this is the beauty of beekeeping. We figured out what all their programs are, and then we utterly exploit them for our own gain. <laughs> so you're a hacker, then, is what you're saying? Oh, we are bee hackers. That's all any human beekeeper. You, you can expect do. the Secret Service to show up sometime soon at your house. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. hackers are bad news. That's what I learned from oh, the movie shit. Hackers. Secret oh, Service handles all that shit. Mm-hmm. I learned from the movie Hackers that hackers are awesome. It's not a coincidence that that came out just as I was deciding that I would get into computers. Yeah. And I also learned who Angelina Jolie was when I first saw Hackers, and that was very interesting as well. Please continue. <laughs> uh, wow, the chat is really interesting. Sorry. Um, <laughs> breeding yeah. super bees that don't fear forest fires. That's awesome. <laughs> God, I hope not. We're screwed, man. That smoke is really important. Um, but yeah, we totally wear the white suits. I have a jumpsuit that covers me from like ankle. I, I look like a painter. Like it covers me straight from the ankles to the wrist. There's elastic everywhere. Now, I was going to say pics or it didn't happen, but I actually do think you actually posted a picture. I've totally posted pictures. On Twitter, so, so I yeah. can't say that. Um, and then the veil zips in. And then my, my fiance's name is Joe. Joe just goes out there in the veil and a t-shirt. Like he just he doesn't wear gloves anymore. There you go. Yeah, he can't even be bothered. So I guess be I'm a big bothered. Oh, that's a good. No, no. Be bothered. No. No, we talked about this. <laughs> we talked about this because I was trolling her ferociously on Twitter with bee-related puns. It was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, and that's, that's all we have time for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank My so connection's breaking up. I don't know. I can't hear you over the asshole. <laughs> Podcast canceled. <laughs> oh, Sorry, God. change of plans. Death in the family. <laughs> I feel so bad about that. <laughs> Ed posted that earlier. I know today. my son. I killed myself laughing, and my daughter, youngest daughter, said, "Daddy, what's so funny?" I'm like, "I, I can't tell you. I'm sorry." Well, well the, I didn't it, know it was a joke, yeah, so I did. direct message Ed, and I'm like, "Ed, I'm so sorry. How can I?" Help? <laughs> I felt so bad. <laughs> I am, I am, I am high fiving Ed through the internet right now. So. Oh. Uh, High five over IP. You felt bad. I actually, I think the first time I did it to Chris, he didn't know what it was too. He was like, "What? Somebody died? What?" I was like, "No." Now I have to put a link to it in here. No, no. See what happened first. He said that to me. I was like, "What?" And then I remembered that he had shared that image with me before about like that conversation where, for those that don't know, there's this graphic that Ed has shared with me one time about some a person's text, uh, I messaging somebody or texting them and says to them, Hey, I'm having a barbecue. Do you want to come over? And the person's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. But I'm a vegetarian. And they start going, Oh, you have a side of the grill and you serve beans or whatever. And there's like a little pause. And the guy goes, sorry, man, barbecue's off. What happened? Death in the family. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. Aaron, yeah, once I saw that, the whole thing made way more sense. Yes, yeah, did. right. Aaron, you're not a vegetarian, are you? Fuck no. Yeah, good. Okay, that's but right. she does. But she is uh, uh, intolerant to many things, and gluten is one of them as well. That's true. Gluten's a dick. I have no room in my life for that. Um, but I'll I'll eat animals all day long. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. All right, I gotta find a. I have to paste this in the chat so people. I can, I can't find the original, so I have to go to one of these stupid sites that like just. Steals a picture and then like water. I like, think Jason water. might have just done it. I'm not sure. No, he's putting just a person saying nope over and over. Oh, again. They, hop <laughs> well, into, they hop into the rocket and goes into the sun, and the end sure. game is nope. Well, and the reason that he's doing that is because someone else just posted a video of my boyfriend doing a bee beard, which is where you have bees on your face. It's exactly what it sounds I'm a, like. I'm a big fan of a beard of bees. Now, I, yeah. but as a child, I was terrified of bees, and I was 
very obsessed, scared with the notion of killer bees invading uh, from the south into North America. Interesting. And I remember there was a, sh- I think it was a movie called Swarm. That was yeah, that like a, right. like one of those like 1970s disaster movies, and it was about. Let me look this up on IMDb. And while Ed's looking looking that up, I can uh, pull the well actually part of the conversation. Well, actually, <laughs> the bee, the killer bees from they're from Brazil, but they won't survive at temperatures like they can survive like in the southern U.S., but they creep. Any, anywhere close to the Mason-Dixon line, and they'll just die because they can't handle that even that little temperature. There's a I, I don't know if other people ever have these books. It's called Uncle John's Bathroom Readers. They've made like a hundred of them, and I buy them every year as a as a stocking stuffer for my wife. So we have quite a collection of them. And they had a little thing in there about the killer bees and how it was all about how the it started off because the Brazil used to be Brazil used to be under a like a military dictatorship. And one of the scientists there that they didn't like was doing some stuff about bees. And so they started talking about how he was – to try to discredit him, they started talking about how he was breeding like killer bees that would destroy crops and that he was then going to release those bees uh, into like Central and, and North America. And there's like a whole article in the bathroom reader about just what bullshit it was. So it was very interesting. Yeah, didn't the guy he, – he bred African bees with – um with honeybees because basically yeah and like the it it somehow he got like the worst of both worlds or yeah, something the african like that bees, <laughs> the african bees are like really really aggressive compared to like the standard north american bees is what i remember from the article but just basically it was all it was just all horse shit anyway well can can i one up your one your well actually but of course <laughs> tell us self-proclaimed bee expert <laughs> uh, woman explain it to us i know <laughs> <laughs> So, well, okay, so there are bees from Africa, and they did get bred with honeybees. They're called, and now they're called Africanized honeybees. Right, okay. Uh, and it's like, you'd be meaner, too, if you had to run from hippos. You know, they, like, oh, they, yeah. You know, so the bees in Africa are way more vicious just because, like, that's what evolution did to them. Um, and there are totally already Africanized bees in the South. However, I'm not sure that what you said, Chris, about them not being able to live up here is totally true. Because we definitely, um, I definitely know people who have gotten bees that have it's it's not like a yes no it's not like a binary it's like you have some africanized uh genes in a hive and so there are definitely bees up here that are starting to become africanized and you can tell just basically because they're dicks like they're just really really unpleasant to yeah, keep yeah the, the the article just talked about like how aggressive those yeah. that strain of bee were but but the idea of a, like the base of the article said that like the idea of like a mass swarm coming up from South and Central America yeah. just wasn't going to work because of temperature stuff. Is that the main yeah. reason that they would they would get too lethargic when they got into the into the the colder climes, and that would probably be enough to allow them to be controlled and picked off by predators, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. I mean, there's they wouldn't come up in a storm. That's just not how it works. I agree with that. It would make for but, an awesome movie, though. It would. Um, but you know, the other thing about Africanized bees is that yeah, like everything you said about them, how they're terrible is true. But they're actually kind of showing promising results in, like, research for, you know, what is killing the bee. Oh, really? Um, It turns out that a lot of that stuff doesn't kill Africanized bees. So now researchers are trying to figure out, like, all right, what does this mean? And can we use that information to, like, because nobody wants to keep those bees. But if all of our bees die, that's not good either. So they're kind of trying to figure out, like, what do we do with this new knowledge? Um, So I don't know. So what do you what do you know about that jazz? Is it just that like our bees are pussies, or what's the problem? <laughs> no, it's it's a lot of things. It's not like any one thing. Like everybody's like, what is the one thing? We'll solve it. Right. It's right. not. It's a lot of things. It's that um, varroa mites are like really really becoming a problem. It's that we're killing all of the like plants that used to just grow naturally, like on the side of highways and stuff. We're just getting rid of it, so bees don't have food anymore. Um, there's a lot of diseases that are going around and some of it is, this isn't a popular thing to say, but some of it's getting worse from the way that we keep bees, like Mm. just in general, um, which is actually something that that's what my boyfriend does. He breeds bees sustainably and he's trying to figure out better practices so that like research things that people can do. Um, so that's not a super popular thing to say because beekeepers who make their living off this stuff don't want to have someone tell them that they're doing it wrong. Um, but there's there's other stuff too. It's not, certainly not just the beekeepers. So the other thing that happened is um, 
right now our bees like 90 percent of the bees in the u.s go to california to pollinate almonds once a year um like straight up 90 percent of the bees that are in hives go to california at the same time of the year to pollinate the almonds so that's i did not know that that is see, this, this is why we do things like this on the podcast it's utterly insane um and one year not too long ago they didn't have enough bees so they brought a bunch of bees up from australia too but what happens when you introduce animals from different ecosystems into the same place and they're like totally not adapted, we get all the Australian bees' diseases, basically. And we were totally not ready for that. Um, so that had a big part in like kicking off the unhealthiness of the bees. Just from like when you have all the bees in the same place every year, they can just it's it's like when we come together and get con plague. It's the same thing, only it is like ninety percent of the bees instead of like two hundred nerds. <laughs> so what you're saying is that we should wear those bee suits to the conferences. <laughs> it might help. It might help. Okay. All right. So yeah, that's that's my bee spiel. I'll pull back now, but yeah. It's, no, that was awesome. I like to talk about it. No, that's no, that's See, better than all this when, crap about programming. Fuck that. When, I know. I always, I was telling Aaron earlier that like, I like to know stuff about people outside of programming because programming is a very, programming is like the common link that I have to, to a lot of the people that I talk to. But man, I want to know what you do in your spare time because I find that stuff, I find that shit fascinating. I always love to know because I do such, I, I do what I think is a bunch of weird things and I'm always happy to hear that other people are doing kind of interesting things. Things that lead them to be well-rounded and just not uh, automatons like uh, Igor that just crank out code all day long. <laughs> boring drone. Boring, boring drone. <laughs> Super intelligent <laughs> drone. <laughs> all you do is meet with the queen and die. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's another little fun factlet on that. <laughs> not only do they meet with the queen and die, they mate in midair and then the, the act of copulation causes the bee to explode. Man, that is that a, is how it dies. That's, that's like prom night. <laughs> oh my god. More than we needed to know. <laughs> how you doing, baby? Boom! <laughs> it's over. Oh man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> On a, on a totally unrelated, actually, on a note of ridiculous things, Brian Fenton tweeted something interesting. You ever see that Terry Tate office linebacker? Yeah, um, I love that. I, 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 yeah, so, yeah, so Brian was saying Chris Harch's office, uh, office testing linebacker, and he's like, you know, you're supposed to do those edge boundaries? Woo! <laughs> ah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that would be awesome just to get, just to like lay people out flat in an office environment, just collide. I'm in midair and just smack them down and get my. I, when they first came out with those ads, I watched them like for days, like the same one for like days. I <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed. I love that that actor Terry Crews is really fucking. It's, it's Terry Crews, right? Yeah, it's Terry Crews. Yeah. yeah, he's awesome. He's on Brooklyn Nine Nine now. I love that guy. But uh, God, he. Oh my God, that was so funny. <laughs> he's playing hurt and all that other stuff is just yeah. <laughs> it's just hilarious it's so it's so over the top chasing people down he, the best part though is like the last one where he's like running he like strips the guy from the side like he's actually knocking the football but he's knocking a thing of of pens that the guy stole out of his hands <laughs> yeah it's, right it's just awesome oh man i oh, love that, that man. those videos those are some good times i'm gonna go back and watch this uh so i have to make a note here to get a reference to the drone exploding during copulation yeah man this could be us but you playing that's a new meme where did that initially come <laughs> from that's what i want to know oh this could i be don't even know meme. what just happened there i don't get it oh have you seen that like, there is a meme. totally off the meme train it's it, yeah it's like it'll be a picture of like maybe like I don't know really where it comes from because I've only seen the ones that are obviously supposed to be jokes and it'll be, it was, I think the idea is that it's supposed to be like, a, it's like a romantic picture or something uh, or sexual picture of two people. And then it's like, this could be us, but you playing. Sure. Okay. okay? But I've only seen sure. ones where it's like, I don't know, two cats or this <laughs> other stuff. Um, or my boyfriend covered in bees, which right. just got posted in the chat. Right, yeah. this could be us, but you playing exactly right. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I don't know. There's some. Isn't there some website that like has a sources for the, like meme something? I'm know sure, your meme. I'm sure if I cared enough, I'd go look it up. But it's but, straight up called Know Your Meme. Yeah, yes. I'm look. I'm gonna yeah. go there now and, and find it. So meme 
Com. I'll see if I can find it. So talk amongst yourself. <laughs> so yeah, bees. I'm yeah. so I'm so glad that I came on your tech podcast and we talked about bees <laughs> and memes and uh, yeah. Look, the number one rule about about <laughs> Dev Hell is that Ed and I talk about whatever the fuck we want. And there, oh, believe me, I've noticed. And there are no rules, and we'll bring any we'll bring anybody on if we think it will educate and people. And then once we feel that we've done enough educating, we start the entertainment portion of the podcast. And we are clearly in the entertainment portion where where I'm stalling for time while Ed looks up uh, know your memes. So rule number one is there are no rules. I see there's one that this could be us. But you plan. This is that's good a, stuff. <laughs> that's a nice one, Jason. Woo! Oh, now we're just making fun of the way people look. I'm not sure that's appropriate. Yeah, and then you call our then you call North American bees pussies. So I'm not sure that you're in any kind of position. Yeah, to but crit- it's it's okay because I'm, I'm North I'm American. In a position to criticize people that we're criticizing. I, I was, but it, yeah, you're right. And this has been episode 47. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so soon. Yeah, so soon. And always, uh, and always. Well, usually it just ends because like Ed and I are both like, yeah, man, I'm baked. Let's finish this. Um, yeah, but, that's uh, about right. But yeah, we know to never have Rhodes, never have Jason on the podcast now with such offensive things that he's pacing into the channel. We're gonna censor the hell out of that boy. What else? He's got also, there? because he's an Oreos fan, which makes automatically makes him a dick. Oh, there's a friend. How does it make him a dick? I mean, they they they're not a threat. <laughs> oh, that's that's very true. I mean, I mean, he's 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 cheering for that juicer Nelson Cruz. That's all you need to know. Oh. Because if baseball really cared about performance-enhancing drugs, all these guys who test positive would never, ever get another job. But clearly they do. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Much worse. yep. Anyway, I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to like jam on, Aaron? Talk about things, you, things you've always wanted to know about Ed or myself, our thoughts on stuff? Because we can just no. totally shoot them down and get to the closing. I'm, I'm pretty sure she knows more than she already wanted to know. Yeah, about. that's right. Just hanging with me at the Cubs game probably revealed way more about me than she ever wanted to know. Then there was that time I started, I broke down crying and you were making fun of me. That's that's that did happen. <laughs> but for the record, Chris was making fun. I was being no, no, a yeah. very considerate and caring person. Yeah. The you was the yeah, the you was Chris and that that uh yeah, it's all it's all about give, it's all about fan service and giving the audience what they want. Yeah, some service. They just they want an. I, I'm I'm convinced there are people that listen, Ed. Just hoping that one day, like you have a total meltdown on air. And you almost did it once. <laughs> like, you almost it's did so it once. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure there are people. It's it's like watching NASCAR. You're watching for the crashes, not for the skill of the drivers. You're watching for the Joke's Dale Earnhardt. Ed edited. <laughs> I want to watch Dale Earnhardt go into the wall again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you watch your mouth, Aaron. You won't be using religious epithets on our show, all right? Yeah, come on. That's come right. on, come on. A- show some class. Show some class that we can't, all right? Show some class. <laughs> take the Lord's name in vain. Don't all right, say. anyway, yeah, take the Don't Lord's name in vain, because this, this show is big in the Bible Belt, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, I think we've reached the I think we've reached the natural end of a of another podcast. So this has been episode number forty seven of the Development Hell Podcast. Aaron, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show and uh, educating us about uh, UX for programmers and dropping some really awesome knowledge about bees on us. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not being sarcastic. Actually, I found it very interesting. Good. I'm not really sure what just happened, but I'm glad it did. So thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> and st- and awesome. stick around afterwards for um, Dev Hill After Dark um, once we stop recording. Uh, <laughs> so before we go, uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors, New Relic. New Relic is a software analytics company that makes sense of billions of metrics across millions of web and mobile apps. Uh, they help the people who build modern software understand the stories that their data is trying to tell them. New Relic supports PHP, Python, Ruby, Java.net, Node, iOS, and Android apps. And as we found out last week, no, they do not support AppleScript. And then we have uh, Rove, another sponsor, Evan Curry and the boys, uh, and I think and one girl who helps keep them all in line. Rove is a hand-picked team of some of the most talented developers in the PHP community. They are a full-service web development firm offering services such as consulting, training, software development, and more. Rove employ some of the most recognized and accomplished experts in the industry to ensure that organizations have access to the talent they need when they need it. And as always, thank you to uh, Paul Reinheimer, Will Roberts of Wonder Network for
for providing the bandwidth so people can listen to us uh, talk while we're recording. Uh, you can find, uh, we have a website, devhell.info. Every single episode that we've done is up there. You can listen to it via the archives. We have show notes where we cover all the things that we talked about on the show. Uh, the podcast can also be uh, found on iTunes. If you do listen on iTunes, please, 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 please rate it. Um, it helps us figure out if we're still doing the type of things that people uh, enjoy. Um, of course, Dev Hell has a uh, Twitter account at Dev underscore Hell. Um, both Ed and I monitor it so we get to see all sorts of crazy shit that you guys send at us. You can find me on Twitter, Grumpy Program without the U. You can find uh, Ed as Funkatron with the U. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you all in about two weeks. Good night, Internet. Oh, oh, oh.